0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Win Win Podcast. It has been such a busy summer for me. I was lucky enough to be in Europe and the Middle East for the last two weeks visiting family and hanging out with friends, but honestly I'm just really excited to get back into the swing of things and bring on some incredible guests for you this fall. I recorded this episode with Shivi Shi who is a product lead at LinkedIn earlier in the summer and I've been looking forward to putting it out in the world. Personally, I have loved seeing Chevy explode in the world of product, innovation, and on LinkedIn. She has over 90,000 followers and invites some of the biggest voices in the space, such as Marty Kagan and Shreyaz Doshi, onto her PM Learning series, which I highly recommend that you check out. One of the biggest reasons why this conversation is important to me is because more and more people are having unconventional careers. And I don't mean full-time creators, but people like me who have a corporate day job and several side projects and hustles. I'm seeing more and more people break out and navigate their careers that way, but I still feel like there aren't systems in place to support that kind of path properly. I really appreciated seeing Shivi's point of view on this, and we even talked about something I haven't really seen discussed that much, which is the downside of doing something different like content creation on top of your day job. I can't tell you how many times people have judged me or questioned my commitment to my day job because I do things outside of work. Of course, that's not something that will ever stop me, but it does make navigating my career feel even more challenging and lonely at times. Another topic that we touch on is the impact of artificial intelligence on education, and while you may be sick of hearing about AI, I really believe that Chevy's insights on the topic are really beneficial and pithy. Anyway, let's dive into the episode. I can't wait to hear your thoughts, and as always, feel free to message me with any questions or feedback. Hi, Chevy. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Thanks, Sorathe. Really excited to catch up with you because honestly, I've always felt like there's this unofficial community of product managers and people in the innovation industry who are also content creators and that means that they somewhat live a double life you are definitely top of mind in that space as someone who has over 85,000 people following you on LinkedIn alone. You're also a LinkedIn learning instructor and somebody who's been leading these amazing conversations with other leaders in the space and now creating paid resources and templates for people to advance in their careers. So, I'd love to actually just kick it off with your day job, since that's the way that we like to start the podcast, and you're a product lead at LinkedIn, so why don't we kick it off by you telling me what that actually means, and what is the product that you're managing?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, It's funny, because um, I've been in LinkedIn as a product lead for about three years, and every year, any couple of months you ask me, the product sort of evolved uh, a little bit in terms of the areas that I'm covering. Um, So I would just very briefly, I started working, uh, you know, on LinkedIn Learning on the platform side of helping LinkedIn Learning to ingest different type of content, not just the original content that we produce, but also company content that people, you know, that companies upload or third party content that can be discovered on LinkedIn Learning. That's our enterprise offering. And then I move on to work on search and discovery. So helping connecting learners with the right content to um, that they're looking for to help them advance their career. Um, and then um, I also work on a couple of venture bets. Uh, that's where I, you know, as an instructor, I can sort of add that firsthand empathy to how to help elevate the presence of experts and knowledge creators on LinkedIn, uh, you know, fooding different type of LinkedIn product, like life events, newsletters, carousel, and how that sort of adds to their mix to help um, share more knowledge broadly on LinkedIn um, and as of last, uh, last year, I transitioned into our jobs uh, marketplace, uh, so I'm mostly helping out uh, two tracks. One is helping small and medium-sized business hire better using LinkedIn, uh, and then the other track that I'm working actively on right now is hoping to help um, make LinkedIn more relevant and valuable for uh, healthcare professionals.
0: And I think that that's such a magical part of being in innovation and being in product management that your role does always involve and consistently evolve. But I think this kind of notion of learning has been such a critical part of what seems to be your career. Where do you think that stems from that love of learning?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I do really love to learn and sort of testing things, learning by doing. I really think it comes back to a couple of things. Like one is, I guess it's a childhood ha- habit uh, starting from there, uh, just allow for learning to like intellectually being stimulated, solving big problems. I think the second thing is really, you know, I-, I think the most important skill for the 21st century, a lot of people could argue communication, leadership, this and that. I think for me is really this sense of curiosity, right? Always curious, always exploring things. Um, and then because you're curious, that means that. You develop the the level of self-awareness that you need to advance your career or to build better products, to, you know, help 10x the next big thing. And then last but least, I think the, the world is just always changing, right? This year with, you know, Generative AI, ChatGPT4 coming out and a lot of different new ideas. The The only way to keep up is to keep learning, to keep asking big questions.
0: Absolutely. I I, I so could not agree with that more. I've seen people like ask this question of like, what do you think about AI? Is it like really a thing? And, and, and it always makes me laugh because I'm like, it's not like magic, right? Like, do you believe in magic, right? It's actually just our world and the way that we know it is continuing to evolve. And on a side note, I'm getting my MBA part-time and we also have a lot of these conversations of like, what does AI mean for education when the tests and the assignments that we have were not built with this notion in mind. And I actually see it as an opportunity to completely reinvent how we think about learning and reinvent how we think about assessments, especially since assessments in the past were so often thought of as this thing that puts people in boxes. But curious what you think about that.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I think there's definitely a lot of space uh, for AI to innovate in the learning space. First, just to answer directly your question about assessment, you know, so much of what we learned through childhood and all the way to even college, I, I believe assessment is based on root memory based learning, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think now AI is that memory, right? We never really need to remember stuff that much anymore. It's going to augment our knowledge in that way. So then what else should we be assessed on is really application of that knowledge, you know, from the creation of assessment side, AI can definitely play a major role in optimizing that for a lot of the learning companies, for schools, for teachers. And then from the student side, I think it's really about, now that I don't have to remember all this concept, how do I apply uh, that in a, in a new context to create new connections, new, um, you know, concepts and ideas? What is the most efficient way to use that knowledge? I think it is really what we should be assessed on. And then more broadly, for the future of learning, I think one of the ideas that uh, or concept that excites me the most is this notion of of being able to really personalize that learning experience. So it comes in twofold, right? Like one is, um, you know, for a long time, when we attended school or online learning, everything is, is the same, right? We treated everybody, learned the same. But... People are very different learners. Some people are audio learners. Some people like to read books. Some people like to talk to people. Some people like to learn by doing, right? They don't like to read big block of texts. And for a long time, we teach everybody the same, you know, in the same way, the same concept in the, exactly the same way. And now we have a way to be able to personalize that and adapt that learning experience completely based on, you know, what fits an individual, Right. And then we're able to also be able to potentially assess, like you said, like as they learn, are they a fast learner? Do they need more help understanding certain concepts? And then because the generative nature of A.I., you know, there's also ways to potentially adapt and predict and using different modality. Right. Like images, audios, exercises and reading um, you know, all of this this meet multimedia to really enhance their learning experience and tailor it, um, you know, for the individuals based on how you learn, how you like to learn, um, you know, how fast or slow uh, that you need to move on certain concepts. So these are really, really exciting potential breakthrough, you know, ideas that I, for the future of education empowered by AI.
0: And it's it sounds like such an exciting future, and I'm personally, both as somebody who is, I think, a lifelong learner and somebody who also teaches and has a passion for it, it's something that I'm personally really excited for too. But the other part of your job has a lot to do with some of the more traditional functionality that people think about when it comes to LinkedIn, which is actually, you know, the job seeking, job connecting, networking piece of LinkedIn. And, you know, I've shared this a few times, but I'm somebody who is owes my career to LinkedIn. Uh, It's how I found my very first internship as an immigrant moving to the United States. It's also how I discovered my role models. Um, I would like stalk CEOs and product officers at various companies and kind of figure out what companies they worked at. And then I would think about my own trajectory But I also do think that there's this continuous conversation about social media and about the picture that it paints and you know, whether people really are legitimate on there or whether they're just people who are successful at personal branding. And I think about people like you and I who have our day jobs and we execute in those day jobs. And then we have this other part of our lives, which has to do with content creation. On our good days, I imagine you get a lot of um, applause for your ability to multitask. But I know for me, people who don't necessarily have my best interests at heart can actually see this as overly ambitious or discredit some of the work that I do to, and again, to chalk it up to personal branding. And I think that sometimes that has to do with maybe being a woman or the environment, uh, again, having multiple careers and multiple trajectories. I was curious about your experience with this and in other ways, like how do you do it all and deal with the pushback that can come with that?
1: Yeah, definitely. This is a really, really great question. Um, so, a couple of things. First, uh, thank you for you know being a loyal, uh, you know, power, power user of LinkedIn. I'm glad that our platform is able to, uh, you know, add to your experience and helping you, you know, create what we call economic opportunity uh, in the U.S. as a as an immigrant. And then I also like um, appreciate that you keeping it real, right? Like, hey. You know what is the the double sided coin of the content creation on a social media platform, and the potential sort of perceptions from people. Personally, I, I think the way how I think about it first, let's just debust the, the myth of uh, having it all. I don't think I, w- I was able to have it all, mm-hmm. uh, and not all at the same time, right? Uh, so, for example, in March, I was actually a, a quite burnout from creating a lot of content on LinkedIn. Not seeing a lot of traction this year due to a lot of factors. ChatGPT have made it so easy for people to create content, right? Mm. And a lot of people were actually, um, you know, out of job uh, for better or worse um, this year. And they chose to go into to create more content, let's say, as a full-time job or whatnot. And then at the same time, I started a really big project to help us grow U.S. healthcare. So that's definitely my first priority and consume a bunch of my mental bandwidth that I didn't have any time to create content. So I did slow down, for example, for a couple of months uh, in terms of content creation. What all I want to say is that I don't have it all and I do prioritize. Yeah. Now, next to your question, though, like how do people feel about personal branding? Are you putting yourself out there? What are some of the potential... I guess criticism or, or cynicism that people come to you like, hey, um, do you have time to do your full-time job? Like, you know, I've definitely seen some creators prioritizing, let's say, their content creation at the expense of doing a good job. Um, and then depending on what your goals and purposes, So I always come back to what is your bigger why, right? Why are you creating content at the first place? If you're creating content because you knew that in a year or two you're gonna quit your job and you're gonna you know work on this idea full time so now you're really testing the water and you're really trying to get a lot of feedback or build your you know potential user base or user clientele, then maybe you spend a lot of time there and it, and that that's your big why. Some people, for example, like me, I, my why is more of a long-term play, meaning that eventually I want to build this this portfolio career where I get to teach, you know, maybe at a leading university. And some courses I lead to coach, you know, and advise companies and leaders on how to build better products, uh, how to innovate, and then maybe writing a book or, or doing something like a cohort class. I personally also very, very passionate about building communities organizing events like a retreat or something leading that facilitating that so I like to be able to have the flexibility to do a lot of those things but the challenge is uh, right now there's no not no proven model to do that and not in a financially sustainable way so that's why I was starting to build this kind of following to kind of craft my job in a way that allows me to do more of that something that tap into what I call my zone of genius. So look Mm -hmm. it up for folks who are not familiar with this framework, but it's basically, you know, you have um, something that you are really passionate about, uh, but maybe like not world-class. Those are your hobbies, right? And then there are things that you're really competent, but not necessarily your passion. Those are your zone of competence. Um, A lot of our employer tend to keep us in that zone of competence because it's comfortable, right? And it's good that you're doing your best work, but you're not necessarily passionate about it. The best part is obviously the zone of genius, where you're both passionate and competent, right? So I try to do more of that and explore that. So then, instead of saying personal brand, because it felt very much self promotional, and you're showboating yourself, I like to think of it as more like a couple of things. First, this is my way to, crafting my job where I can get to do more of things that are in my zone of genius. And I definitely have a privilege that I acknowledge that not everybody has, right? Because I work at LinkedIn and our company want to elevate more people uh, as a knowledge creator. So I can always say that I you know, wanted to be part of that and dogfooding it to, to gain firsthand empathy and best practices, make friends yes, still relying on my own ability and time and effort to do that. But I, I can sort of, you know, receive maybe a lot less pushback because of that. So I You're do like connecting that the dots. that's a privilege. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Right. But for people who are, let's say, not working at LinkedIn, how would you be smart about it? Uh, my suggestion is that the second piece, so first piece is like personal branding, reframe, maybe that's your you know, outlet for creativity, or or you, you're finding this new identity for yourself, right? So that's mm-hmm. how I would brand it. The second piece is that how can you join forces with a bigger force? Like I like to use this analogy of may the force be with you, right? So what is that bigger force? I think there's two sort of sides to that. Uh, one is more philosophical, one side is more practical. Let's start with the practical side, which is, hey, let's say you're not working for an organization like then can you be part of another organization who might need to hear your voice, who might benefit from hearing your voice? Mm -hmm. So uh, you either can find an organization like Women in Product or like you. You just start win, right? Like start an organization, elevate that voice, build that community. So yeah, so I think there's a lot of ways that you can play that that doesn't come across as like you're promoting for your own self's sake. And then the philosophical side, which is the third pillar, is that whenever I feel like, oh, I'm not comfortable putting myself out there or putting my experience, my story out there, don't think about putting yourself out there. Think about how many people will benefit from hearing your story, from hearing your experience. So again, coming back to may the force be with you. The force is basically everybody in the world that will benefit from hearing your voice. And that's very empowering. Whenever I think about that, I don't think about, oh, my boss is going to see this and he is going to judge me, you know, on what I said and and why I'm on why I am on LinkedIn or on other social media, right? So it becomes more of a bigger thing and contributing to your bigger why, the bigger identity that you're building for yourself, uh, versus this really tiny criticism of. Um, you know, are you looking for a job? So you're posting on LinkedIn Mm -hmm, kind of
0: like mm -hmm. stereotype. Those are awesome tips. And I personally really, really identify with them because in previous instances in my life or in different roles and careers or moments, uh, whenever I did think about that, I, I do think about the difference that it makes To put not just myself out there, but to do this with other women like you and other amazing leaders that I've had on this podcast and how many benefits it gives to other people. So I totally agree with that. And one of the magical things about this day and age is that there's a community out there for everyone. You kind of touched on it, but Women in Product is a community I'm a very big fan of. And of course, Women in Innovation, which was started five years ago, but I created this new angle, this new product for it, which is the podcast. But it allowed me to feel like I had some, let's call it protection over my head as I um, ventured on to kind of doing my own thing another another piece of this puzzle that i wanted to talk to you about is i loved reading your post on Deb Lou's newsletter about finding your voice and kind of this amazing growth trajectory that you've had and and how you actually came from a background where the nail that sticks out gets hammered down again looking at you and from the outside i think most people wouldn't even know that about you given how much success you've had and how much of yourself you put out there to connect with others so for somebody who may feel like, you know, being a content creator maybe is not for them, but they want to find their own voice and succeed in whatever lane they're in. Uh, what would you say is your biggest tip for those people?
1: Yeah, that's I think that's such a such a big, important question, right? Um, I do feel like first, let's start like just like building products. Um, the first step is first principle thinking. So asking the why, right? What is there? True North metric, we call it like, how do they define success? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, what does success means when they say they, they want to have their voice heard? Like, why does it matter? Understanding the why, like, what motivates you? What, what you are like, what makes you happy? Uh, what does success mean for you? It's probably different to everybody, actually. Um, so getting crystal clear about that. And if you're not clear, then you're going to go, again, product management analogy, do some user research, right, by talking to different people, especially, let's say, uh, women, women leaders who uh, you admire to emulate, people who are maybe, you know, anywhere between five to 10 years, if you, uh, those people are easier to reach, versus people who are way far ahead, right? Like, people who are t- three years, let's say, ahead of you are doing things that you wish you uh, were doing. Uh, Talk to those people and see what their thought process are um, and how they get to uh, where they are and what they're doing. Validating if what they're doing is indeed aligned with what you wanted to do. And it sounded like interesting problems to solve. So I would start from like defining, you know, what success means to you and then doing some research to refine that thinking and then the third piece of advice I would say is again referencing product way of thinking is the notion of building an MVP right minimum viable product so what would be the minimum the smallest I call it smallest biggest action you can mm-hmm. take Meaning it's not contradictory, but it's, it's it sounded counterintuitive. So the smallest action, it's the easiest one that you can take, right? But it's still biggest, meaning that it's still meaningful enough. that gives you enough signal to say, do I want to go down this path? Or do I want to do something? So it, let's say if content creation is not really your way of um, thinking about how you want to make your voice, then what else? Like, can you do some research to figure it out? What is the first meaningful step that you can take towards that? You know, a lot of people fail or don't make as much progress in this pursuit is because they think of a really long, like a big milestone that they want to accomplish. And then a big milestone sometimes either discourage us or make us want to procrastinate that we don't want to do do things because it sounds so hard, takes so much effort. So I really want you to break down that big behemoth you know sort of milestone into something that's more tangible mm-hmm. that's a quick step if it's just means like grabbing coffee chat with a mentor who's three years ahead of you that's a good first step right and then after there you're going to take more and more action or it's basically or maybe putting out a, a quick prototype of a product that or if an idea that you feel so passionate about and getting users to to use it and learn uh, and give you feedback so it could be You know, small but tangible ideas that help push you towards the right direction.
0: Absolutely. And it is such a great way to make those small steps because a lot of the times people fall into this trap when they are on their day zero or day one of like this pursuit that they're excited about. And then they compare themselves to somebody like you who's been doing this for a while and who's been putting in hours and hours of your time and you didn't start out with the success that you did and the followers that you've had and the, the quality of the content that you put out there. And so I think that in addition to the steps that you recommended, I also do think it's important to, yes, do competitive analysis, know what's in the space, know what people need more of, but at the same time, be aware that the most magical thing about you is what you bring to the table and you'll get there if you just keep on working at it and keep on evolving your strategy. So
1: everybody's not always studying at the same place, mm -hmm. right? So just comparing yourself to, you know, other version who might be way ahead of you or you never see how much effort they put in. Right. So, um, I, I, love the, that, that call out. I think it's important.
0: Absolutely. And so before we, uh, kick it off to the last question, One other important question I wanted to talk to you about is leadership and you know, for context, I'm somebody who is really driven by the idea of meritocracy and the fact that anybody can lead from any role in any job. But I found myself talking to people who are in this similar place in their career where they've been in the game um, in various capacities for multiple years, maybe not 15 or 20 years, but anywhere between like seven to 10 years. Um, And it's this weird part of your career where you know you've done things, you're maybe managing people but at the same time um, it's this moment of okay what is my big thing I'm going to accomplish how am I going to break into that leadership suite or that next big role you're somebody who's been um, in product at LinkedIn for three years and so much of your career has been around technology transformation and strategy and i've sometimes found this idea of a career portfolio at odds with let's call it climbing the ladder a concept that i'm not even sure exists anymore but i'd really love to hear from you about how you're thinking about you know really entering this next this next chapter of your career into leadership and management roles um while still balancing having the career portfolio approach
1: yeah absolutely I think a couple of things that um, sort of I learned to embrace uh, as I, you know, hearing from different leaders who've been there, done that, right? I think first is if you're thinking about our career when we grew up, especially in an Asian household, I think a lot of it is around the, the notion of like climbing, climbing the ladder, mm-hmm, right? So you mm-hmm. want to get bigger title, you want to manage more people, work at like more prestige company. I think more and more so Korea nowadays is more like a map, uh, where you would go to different destinations to explore. That sometimes means you would travel sidewise, laterally, or even backwards for a little bit in order to gain certain experience to move to a bigger space. So I think embracing this notion of careers as a map versus letter is a pretty important sort of mindset shift. That's quite important for, in in many regard, in this new era, especially I see AI coming and being quite disruptive To the job uh, economy, to how people think about careers, right? And then the second thing I would say this might be a very controversial take. But I do see it more and more so, especially in the product management space, where increasingly people advance really fast into management positions, people management positions, mm-hmm. start to come back and become an individual contributor just to learn more skills, uh, to be able to, let's say, build growth loops or build B2B, you know, SaaS, PLG, uh, product-led growth in order to gain that experience, right? Because mm-hmm. when you advance too fast, to people management's position, sometimes you might not, you know, be able to home in your product craftsmanship. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that you should always stay in that individual contributor land. You do have to, if you want to amplify your impact, you do need to grow into, you know, people management space or at least test it out and see if that's a good fit for you. So I do think that there's some balance in like rewriting the narrative of like, you have to manage, let's say a teen of 10 or 40 or 70 to be successful versus you actually have a lot of skills to do a lot of things so skill is a new currency not necessarily i think in terms of the number of people that you manage right and the impact that you're able to create is necessarily correlates to the title or the um uh, the people that you manage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's like a redefinition and a re uh, mindset shift. Mm-hmm. Some people might argue, well, it's because you have an advanced to that level. So you're saying this, but I can assure you, I heard a lot of really successful women. In fact, last weekend, I was just moderating this panel and you have top executives from Google, from some of the VC firms, from Salesforce, all saying sort of the similar notion of like, Title matters in some way, but in the spectrum of your life, it doesn't matter as much. So think about the influence, the legacy you want to create. And then the last thing I would conclude with the the notion of the portfolio career is the idea of the two pie charts. On the left hand side of pie chart, how you measure success is the traditional way of 50 50 split between 50% title and 50% compensation. So the more you earn, the more powerful you are in your title, the more successful you are. And then the other pie chart on the right-hand side on how you measure success is a combination of, let's say, 30% is your compensation. 30% is, you know, your your physical well-being. uh, Another 30% or 20% could be physical well-being, 20% mental health, right? Um, Having free time to do whatever you want or to pursue your hobbies, to travel, to meditate, to do yoga, to cook, um, and then um, having time to spend with people that you care about, like your family, your friends. Uh, To me, the second pie chart resonated a lot more um, than just the 50-50 between title and compensation. Mm -hmm. So I definitely would not only use, you know, I guess how much money I make or how high up I am in the organization to to measure success. I feel like the level of impact I'm able to create, uh, whether it's creating a new way of going after a new market for LinkedIn right now, or piloting a new sort of initiative or ideas to help elevate the presence of our instructor and our platform. Those are the things that I feel motivates me. And also the idea of what kind of new skills that I'm going to gain so that I feel very secure that I'm not being replaced by AI. AI is augmenting my creativity,
0: my knowledge. I absolutely love that. And so with that, I'd love to end it by looking ahead. Where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? For
1: the industry, a month from now, not much change. Probably another thousand AI startup will come up. (laughs) 95 to 99% of them will fail. Um, But that's kind of the hype right now, right? So that's one month, one year, I think in a year, AI will be stabilized a little bit more. Uh, There will be a lot more products with AI embedded capabilities. Meaning, for example, Google Ads will look very different. AI can generate those ads. AI can personalize those ads. We might be able to, with ChatGPT plugin, be able to order flights, takeout, off from a chat portal without going into an app, for example, um, to actually pick and choose, you know, what we're going to order. But we can actually use voice command or type command to, to get that done. In 10 years, I think we'll see a lot more of AI co-piloting with us in a lot more tasks. We might creating new jobs around AI governance, you know, pump engineering, around how to use AI to tackle really important problems that people don't really have a lot of bandwidth to think about because it might or might not make economic sense. So for example, how do you solve climate change? How do you solve, fight uh, global poverty, right? That kind of sort of humanitarian causes, I think in 10 years we'll start to see more and more of those roles to start shaping solutions in those space that we previously don't have a lot of mental bandwidth it might take more than 10 years to get there but i think we'll see a lot more breakthrough in self-driving cars and personalized medicine personalized learning and many other places a lot of us might be free to work on more creative stuff versus being confined to a 9 to 5 schedule personally One month from now, probably in Italy somewhere, planning my vacation. One year from now, not sure. Probably some bigger role, maybe start managing teams if things go smoothly. Ten years from now, uh, maybe I'll finally be doing full time, my portfolio career dream. Maybe teaching at some university, maybe helping to inspire the younger minds to use product thinking blended with AI to be really critical thinkers. My dream is to helping not just advancing product management, but more making that product way to thinking as a norm, like a critical thinking skill that we can teach and practice at school so that more people will be going into the workforce uh, with those skill set and mindset.
0: I love that. And as usual, so completely aligned with you and your goals. Um, It's really awesome to have people like you in this community. These kinds of conversations and the work that you do are the reasons that I think make the internet such a beautiful place that connects people and inspires them. So thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast and sharing your story. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by WIN, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakal. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.